take your Bibles and turn to the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. And let us uh, continue reading this chapter, beginning with verse 23, as we look at the life of Moses. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents, because they saw that the child was beautiful, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasure of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Amen. That's in the reading of God's Word. You may be seated. Our Lord, we thank you so much that you have given us your Word. And, and in many ways, Lord, we thank you for uh, such an extended treatment on faith. And God, you know where each one of us stands today. And, and we look to you, Lord, to uh, en and encourage us where we are down and discouraged. Lord, help us to continue to walk by faith. Father, we pray that, that you would direct us and, and encourage us and, and challenge us, Lord, and to remind us that you are the God who uh, has made it possible, that you, you have given us a faith that we could walk in each and every day, and I pray that you would help us to do so. We ask in Christ's name, amen. Well, as we continue on in the, the chapter of Hebrews, we're, we're coming closer to the end of, of Hebrews 11 and this topic of faith, but let me just sort of recap where we've been. We've looked at the nature of faith and seen that it is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, uh, that, that God commends His people uh, or He accepts them, not because of their gifts or their accomplishments or their beauty or their strength or because of our popularity or our position or our power or our possessions. All these things that you see people in the world going after, people pursuing, that's not uh, what... Uh, causes God to accept us. Instead, the only thing that matters to God is our faith. And, and, uh, and as we walk in faith, uh, that faith uh, causes us to seek to please God. God is the object of our faith. It's not just faith in faith. It's not just hoping something will happen. But there's an object of that faith. There's something sure. There's something solid. And, and it is in that relationship with God that, that He has saved us that we might have that relationship with Him. But faith also recognizes that this world is not our home. That I mean, even as we come to faith in Christ, we leave behind the things of, of the world in one sense. I mean, we still live in the world, but we sort of forsake the worldly life that we once had and we look to the future trusting God uh, completely. And even uh, faith trusts God's plan to the end, even to our death. 
as we looked at uh, the patriarchs last week and uh, just reminded that each one of those accounts were talking about their death and how they stood firm trusting the Lord and, and His promises. And I, I would even suggest past their deaths in one sense because they were saying to the generation that came behind them that the promises of God were for them as well and encouraged them to stand firm. But today we're going to look at faith in the face of fear. Face in the face, faith in the face of fear. Say that ten times real fast if you would. Okay, as we look at the life of Moses. Now, uh, to, to really appreciate uh, this, I think, and especially as the writer writes to his original audience, we have to understand how a, a Jew viewed Moses. I mean, obviously we know from uh, a couple weeks ago that the Jews highly regarded Abraham, okay, Father Abraham, and saw themselves as children of Abraham, but they also highly exalted Moses as well. Let me just read to you from Deuteronomy 34. These are just sort of the, the closing words of, of that book. And it says, And there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. None like him for all the signs and the wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt. And then it went in to talk about the great, deeds of power that he did and how he did terrifying things you know that, or that the Lord did through him as well and so the Israelites viewed Moses as, as, a, as a great man he was the lawgiver he was the the nation's heroic deliverer you know and, and redeemer and so he was highly regarded and so according to the author of Hebrews Moses did all these works by faith as a matter of fact if if you've read Ephesians 1, you know that in Ephesians 1, there's this one phrase that's just repeated over and over and over, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. Well, as you, as you walk through this passage that we're looking at in Moses' life, it's the same thing, only the phrase is by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. It's like, just in case you didn't get this, it's by faith. Uh, so, to be sure, Moses wasn't perfect, nor was he consistent in his walk of faith. But his life was characterized by faith. And I hope in one sense, you guys are picking up on this. Because as we've walked through Hebrews 11, that's what we've seen. That, you know, while these saints did walk by faith, they were not perfect. And I just say that to, to encourage you. Because I'm sure in your walk with the Lord, there are times when you are, are disheartened and discouraged. And, and you're worried and you're just thinking, oh Lord, but I have failed you. But you know, it's not on our performance but it's in our trust in the Lord and what He has done. So I just want to encourage you with that this morning. And so the author of Hebrews points out that Moses was, was raised to live his life without fear. You know, he faced a lot of different circumstances that, that had a great, that, that could have had a, a lot of consequences to them that would have been very difficult, and yet he faced them by faith. And, and to, to emphasize this particular aspect of faith would have been very encouraging for this original audience because they were struggling. They needed boldness. They, they needed confidence in the face of affliction and an overwhelmingly powerful uh, opposition. And, and the original audience, uh, as you remember, wanted to return to Moses. They wanted to return to the law rather than trust in Christ. You see, what they really wanted 
was to believe in God, but not to have to do so in a way that they suffered or they were persecuted. In, in their minds, they sort of wanted more of a cushy religion, one that was a little bit more comfortable, maybe not quite so intense. And to return to the Old Testament Jewish law would have given them that. They could have felt like they still had a relationship with God, and yet it wouldn't have required so much of them. And, and so what the writer is trying to say is, but look at Moses. This is the one from whom you receive these things, the whole sacrificial system and, and all of these things. And yet he looked to Christ. And he did so by faith. And so he was challenging them to do that. And brothers and sisters, I, I just want to uh, challenge us in the day and time in which we live that, that we, I think, will be everly, increasingly tempted to look for this kind of religion as well. Up until this point in time in our country, we've been able to be pretty comfortable in our Christianity. But I think things are changing. And I think we're seeing them change where Christians are being more marginalized, where if you believe certain things that the Bible teaches, then you know people begin to say, really? It raises eyebrows, and people begin to, to question you, maybe call you homophobic or, or things like that. And there's, there's things like that that cause Christians to go, whoa, wait a minute, we've never had this pushback. And, and, and as persecution, I think, comes even more so, our temptation may be to pull back into question. But I want us to look today at the life of Moses and see that this actually can encourage us, even in the face of opposition and even in face of those consequences of which we may be tempted to be fearful. So, so let's look at this this morning. Um, and as we begin, I want us actually not to begin with Moses, but to begin with his parents, okay? We, we see, first of all, the faith of a fearless parents in verse 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Now, what is said in one sentence here takes like two chapters in, in Exodus. It's the first two chapters. And if you re remember... Uh, the population of Israel uh, began to increase after Joseph died and uh, did so for several hundred years in the land of Egypt. As a matter of fact, the way Exodus describes the Israelites is it says the land was filled with them. And, and a king arose who really knew nothing of Joseph and, and he was very concerned that now you've got this people group that's, that's a foreign nationality. What if they align themselves with your enemy? You could easily be overrun. And so he's like, we've got to do something about this. And so then he goes to the, the midwives and he tells them, you need to kill their children when, you, when they give birth. And, uh, and so uh, he, they, they, he, he commanded them to do that. But they did not obey. And, and, and because they did not do that, then the king declared in Exodus 1.22, he goes, Every son that is born to the Hebrews you shall cast into the Nile. That isn't kids into the Nile River. You're supposed to throw your babies into the river and drown them. I know that's horrible, but that's what the king was saying. Well, there was one particular family. There may have been more than that, but there was one that the Bible records that disregarded the king's command. And uh, so when Amram's uh, wife 
uh, Jacobed gave birth to their son, we read here in Hebrews that they saw that the child was beautiful. Now, we look at that and we think, oh, so such a cute baby. But what parent doesn't think their kids are cute, right? But that's not actually what that word means. It doesn't necessarily speak of physical attractiveness. Uh, as a matter of fact, in the New Testament, when Stephen, before he's stoned, is recalling the history of Israel, he actually uh, expounds on this a little bit and said, Moses was beautiful in the sight of God. And, and so uh, the point of this recognition is is that it led his parents to reject the king's edict. Now, there's tradition through Josephus that says that maybe an angel appeared to Amram and, and said, your son's going to be special, you know, but that's just tradition. We don't know that for a fact. And so some think that that's why they're active. We don't know exactly what the motivation was, but the Bible says that, that they hid him for three months. Now, uh, those of you who have been blessed with having children, let me just tell you, you can probably only guess how difficult it is to keep a baby quiet, right? Um, babies require a lot of attention, and they draw a lot of attention, especially when you don't want them to, okay? And so you can only imagine how difficult that is. But what we see is is that the faith of Moses' parents enabled them to act despite Pharaoh's edict to kill all the Hebrew boys. And we're told specifically in verse 23, they were not afraid of the king's edict. Now, I think there's a danger here that we can have when we read something like that. And we can think, oh, they weren't afraid. But that's not necessarily true. It, what it means is, is that they feared God above Pharaoh. They feared God more than they feared man. Uh, you have to keep in mind that Moses' parents uh, did fear Pharaoh. If they did not fear Pharaoh, then they would not have hid their child. They would have just left their child out in plain sight. But they knew that if, if their child was discovered, not only most likely would their child die, their child would have died, but they probably would have died as a result as well. But their fear of God was greater than their fear of man. Just like the midwives that we read about in Exodus chapter 1, verses 16 and following, where they were commanded to kill these children, and yet they did not do so. And the reason they did not do so, it says, is they feared the Lord. And so Moses' parents knew that God's law trumps any law that mankind makes that contradicts what God says. And throughout the history of God's people, it's often been necessary to stand for the Lord against the power of the state. Not that God's people are commanded to be rebellious, but if the government requires and commands those things that are contrary to God, uh, a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ has no choice but to obey the Lord. And, and we see this uh, all over the world today. Um, Christians suffering for their faith as governments make it illegal to worship Christ, to gather in His name. But, but even more closely for us at home, we now live in a nation where it's not always acceptable to, to believe what one chooses. I think it's interesting to see the progression that's happened where we once as a nation believed in absolute truth. And then we believe that, well, it's whatever a person's opinion was, they can believe whatever they wanted. To now, to where we're saying... Actually, no, you can only believe your opinion if it agrees with me. 
And, and so therefore, we're sort of back to sort of an unspoken absolute truth in one sense. Uh, but uh, what we're seeing is an increasingly chasm between what the Bible teaches and uh, what our culture holds out as acceptable. And therefore, Christians are being more and more marginalized and those who identify with God's people at once become sort of enemies uh, or become targets of God's enemies. But brothers and sisters, this should not uh, grip us with fear, but actually this should stabilize our faith. Because simply what we're seeing in our country today is what Paul said to Timothy. Paul said to Timothy, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, what? Will be persecuted. And so we ought not to be discouraged by this, but to know that this is uh, not only uh, how God has dealt with His people in the past, but even today, and like I said, in many countries, they are. And so, but faith is one that allows us to fear God more than man. Second of all, the, the, we see sort of the, the faith of a he heavenly-minded person, and specifically Moses in verses 24 through 26. You know, um, just to sort of bring you up to date, uh, between these two verses, a lot of things have happened. Moses was three months old, but it got to the point where his parents couldn't keep him quiet. They couldn't hide him anymore, so they decided that they would put tar in a basket, kids, and they would make it waterproof, and they would put baby Moses in that basket, and they would put him in the Nile River, and, and you know, hopefully someone would find him and, and take care of him. Well, we read in the Bible that who found him? Pharaoh's daughter, right? And she saw that he was a Hebrew, and uh, Miriam, Moses' older sister, was watching, and when she saw that Pharaoh's daughter found him, she actually went up to her and said, would you like me to find you a nurse to take care of the baby? And she's like, that's a great idea. And so Miriam went and got her mother, and Pharaoh's daughter hired her and paid her to take care of her own baby. Now, you can only imagine that I'm sure that as, as Moses' mother, Jochebed, care for her little one. She not only cared for him physically, but also uh, instructed him in the ways of God. And I say that because you see their strong faith in the Lord. And I can't imagine that they did not take that time to instruct him in the ways of the Lord until, as Exodus describes it, the child grew older. Now, we don't know exactly how old he was. Might have been two, might have been three, four, five, I don't know. But three is a good guess and, and pretty common in, in the Jewish culture to, to nurse a child until then. Now, I, I want to say this to those of you that have little kids, okay? Because I, I've been there. Many of us who are older have, have been there. And, and sometimes when your kids are little, they're pretty squirmy and they're pretty wiggly and you wonder if they're learning anything. And you're just thinking, you know, I just can't wait till they get older so I can start teaching them things. But you know, those early years are so important. And it's so important to instruct them in the Lord. And there's more that gets through to them than what you might realize. I, 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 there was a, there's a, a common phrase, uh, different people give different people credit for this, but one quote that says, Give me a boy before the age seven, and he will be mine forever. And so if you sort of feel like in those early years, you know, I'm just not making a difference as parents, I just want to encourage you, hang in there. Continue to instruct them in the Lord. And, uh, and see what the Lord does in terms of that. But anyway, 
so, so Moses is raised by his mother, then eventually given to Pharaoh's daughter, and he grows up in the temple. And he became her son, uh, Pharaoh's uh, daughter's son. But we read in Exodus 2.11, when he had grown up, and in Acts 7, we find that that means when he was 40 years old, Moses, as we read here in Hebrews, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. You see, by faith, he looked at his life and where he was, and, and he rejected the identity of being an Egyptian. I mean, but you have to understand, when he did that, he rejected everything that went along with that. All of the comforts of life, all of the power, all of the, as the text says here, the fleeting pleasures of sin. He could have had it all, worldly speaking, but, but true faith will announce its disagreement whenever God and conscience calls. In other words, true faith loves God and not the world and its riches. And when God calls us, faith is willing to lay aside those things. Um, now, that doesn't mean that believers cannot love their culture. And actually, brothers and sisters, there's a lot in our culture that we can love and that we ought to, that we ought to enjoy the things that God has given us. But still, as Christians, we refuse to be identified with the godless spirit of the age. And that's the difference. Okay, we can enjoy the culture and the things in it, but we do not identify with the godless spirit of the age and the things that our culture is trying to push us into that are contrary to what God says. And so, true faith is very courageous, but it stands in the faith. And that's what we see in, in Moses' life, that he rejects the things that the world has to offer. And so there's a sense in which he sort of negatively, you know, says, I'm not going to be this. But instead, he's going to identify positively with God's people. Look at verse 25. Moses choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God. So he identifies himself with those that are poor and persecuted, those that are people of God. He, he knew that it was better to, to stand with God and to obey God's call on his life, uh, even though it came at great personal cost. Um, now, it's not necessarily wrong to have power. It's not necessarily wrong to have comfort or wealth. But in Moses' case, if he would have continued to live in the courts of the Egyptian Pharaoh, he would have been going against God's purpose for his life. And so he would have been guilty of the sin of apostasy, the very sin that the author of Hebrews is, is dealing with in this book. But the life of obedient faith in God means living according to God's purposes, even if that means losing all the honor and the riches that the world uh, offers to, to give to us. Um, even those things that the world tells us are valuable and meaningful and satisfying. And so a true follower of Christ will have to make that same decision. All of us as followers of Christ will have to make that decision. We face tests like that every day, probably on a much smaller scale, but all of us are challenged in conversations that we have with others, in the way that we uh, operate as households, uh, in the way that we do our work, our jobs. All of those things many times are very different than the world. And we have to say, in essence, we walk by faith. This is how God's commanded me, how I am to work. I know that this is what you do, that maybe you cut corners or you take 
time off without the boss knowing it or whatever. But this is how God's commanded me to work, to work as unto the Lord Jesus Christ. And we do those things, and, and we will face consequences uh, as a result of those things. But I think it's good for us to ask, as you know, even I think we're going to be more tempted to seek a more pleasurable situation at the price of unfaithfulness to, to the Lord, and we are challenged in that way every day to some extent. I think we have to ask ourselves, will we stand firm in the faith against fiery darts of embarrassment and humiliation and mockery as the world continues to, to come against us? Will we stand firm in the faith when our world appears to be crumbling down around us? You know, as we look at what comes ahead, we think that all everything, you know, with COVID and all that kind of stuff is, is sort of behind us, but we don't know what's coming up. We don't know what is going to happen in the future, but regardless of what happens in the world in which we live, is there a sense in which we can face the future with a peace because of faith that we have in God, with Him as our object, even in the midst of uncertainty? Well, we read that Moses uh, not only did not identify with the Egyptians, uh, and did identify with God's people, but he also, Moses also rejected the treasures of Egypt because he saw the reproach of Christ as a greater treasure to pursue and to possess. Moses regarded abuse for Christ as preferable to the material treasures of Egypt. Isaiah chapter 63 verse 9 shows us that God is distressed when his people suffer distress. And God identifies with his people. And in the same way, Christ also identified with the sufferings of his people. So when Moses suffered, he suffered with Christ as the Messiah. And so even though he didn't know that it was Jesus, who the one that he was suffering with, he knew that he was suffering with the Messiah. So Moses understood that his true reward was, was, was not something that was of this earth, that wasn't earthly. And that's another common theme that we see is those who walk by faith, they can do so because their eyes are, are upon the things uh, ahead of them, that they're upon the future promises. And, and now we're back to the foundational truth of verse 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. That's the walk of faith, brothers and sisters. And, and Moses was quite, quite sure of his reward. And this enabled him to refuse that, that call to live as an Egyptian and to forgo the fleeting pleasures of sin and to identify with God's people who were struggling. And if we truly believe in the reward as did Moses and his saints, we will do just fine. I mean, Paul says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Do we believe that? Do we believe that in the conversations that we have at work when, when our employees around us are, are sort of ganging up on us and they're questioning the things that, that we believe. Are we willing to stand firm? Even a couple of paragraphs down from when Paul says that in Romans 8, in verse 28, he says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. For those God, for those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of His Son that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. 
And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Brothers and sisters, is that enough for us? Can we trust in God that he will finish that which he has started? In the same way, Paul writes to the Corinthians. And he says, therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles, that's those persecutions, are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. We must believe these things. We must take these things to heart. And that's why Paul could say, but whatever I gained, I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Because Christ was his all. Faith, which is looking forward, that which looks even past death into eternity, uh, sees the great reward that is to come. And such faith, like Moses, doesn't identify with the world nor the fleeting pleasures of sin. And so as Satan comes to tempt us, it says, Satan, this is not what I'm living for, for this momentary pleasure, but for the reward that will come one day when Christ returns. And so rather it suffers the same reproach that Christ did when he was here upon earth. Well, we also see here the faith of a fearless man in verse 27. Uh, the author continues and he says, By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Now, which exit is he talking about? Moses left Egypt twice. Once after he killed the Egyptian for abusing the Israelite. The other, when he led the people out of Israel. Well, some people would say, well, if you sort of look, he's sort of going in chronological order, so it's probably when he killed the Egyptian. Uh, but there would be others who would argue and say, well, but actually when he left Egypt after he killed the Egyptian, he was very fearful. And this says that he left not being afraid of the king. So he must be talking about the second exodus. The answer is I'm not sure which one it is. But the point, I think, that we can get from this is, is the reason Moses endured in his faith is that his focus was upon God. It says that uh, he endured as seeing him who is invisible. You know, he, he understood that, that God is God. And, uh, and so he could stand in the face of that persecution. And that's always how God's people have endured. I don't know if you've thought about that or not, but just think about David as he stood before Goliath to fight him. Why could he do that? Because he understood that it was God who was the one that fights his battles. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, as they faced the fiery furnace, how could they do that? Because they saw that God is the one who would deliver them. And even if they died in the fire, God nonetheless would keep them safe. Even Jesus, as he endured the cross, he did so knowing that God is faithful. So we walk by faith and, and not by sight. And then finally, and, and I'm just going to go through this very quickly, we just sort of see the faithful response to a, a number of occasions, some including Moses, some others, uh, in response to revelation that God had given. God had said, this is what I want you to do, and 
Uh, and we have these examples of those who took God to heart and did those things. Whether that be the Passover in verse 28, uh, when, when God says, take and kill this lamb and sprinkle the blood over the doorpost. Why? Why would you do that? That doesn't make sense in the moment. But they obeyed God. And the Israelites put the blood over the doorpost. And because of that, the destroyer passed over and did not kill them. At the Red Sea, uh, as the people acted by faith, they crossed the Red Sea, what? On dry land. Um, even though here again, all of these cases that we're looking at, whether it's the, the blood over the doorpost, whether it's the idea that we're just going to step into the water and God is going to deliver us. I mean, even if they saw the water part first, to walk through on dry land uh, was, was quite amazing. And yet they trusted the Lord and He <clears throat> delivered them. But what about Jericho? As they come into the, the promised land, the first city they encounter obviously is a fortified city because it's a city put there to keep people out like the Israelites and to guard the land. And so they come to this city that has walls that are three feet thick. And, and they come and God says, just march around the city for seven days. And on the seventh day, blow your trumpets and your horns and you shout and praise to God and the walls fall down. But what's interesting is archaeologists have showed that the walls have fallen outward, not inward. So it wasn't that the Israelites knocked the walls down, it's that God knocked the walls down. But they trusted what God said and rested in that. And then the final example in verse 31 is of Rahab. The spies, as they're coming in to uh, take Jericho, come in to sort of do some preliminary work to find out you know, what the city's like and, and things like that. And they come and they go to this woman, Rahab. She's a prostitute. Some people may say, well, why did spies of Israel go to a prostitute? But in all fairness to them, if you're going to be spies going into a city and you want to be undetected and you want to be able to come and go as you want and not anybody to know, a prostitute would be a great cover for that, would it not? So anyway, they come in and they find out that Rahab actually believes that the Lord has given them the land. Now I think this is sort of ironic, brothers and sisters, and, and this is a, a good challenge for us, I think, as well. Here God's people experienced all these things. They experienced the Exodus. They experienced the Passover. They experienced the crossing of the Red Sea. They experienced all those things, and yet... The first generation Israelites struggled to trust God. Here is Rahab, a prostitute, a Gentile prostitute, who has only heard of these things. She heard of the Exodus. She, she heard of the crossing of the Red Sea. She, she heard of all the things the Lord had done. And guess what? She believed and, and knew that God would... Uh, would do this. And, and we read that in Joshua chapter 2, verses 9 and following. She, Rahab knew that the Lord had given Israel the land. And, and so she delivered these spies and helped them to get out in, in favor, uh, in exchange for being delivered. And so she did. And what's interesting is, is that she lived with the Israelites then for the rest of her life. And she married a Jewish man named Solomon. And they had a son named Boaz. And Boaz married Ruth and fathered Obed. 
and Obed begat Jesse, and Jesse begat David, and David became the great king of Israel. And we know that it was from the line of David that eventually came who? The Messiah, Jesus Christ. And so here, mixed in this lineage of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, is this Gentile prostitute uh, to remind us of God's amazing grace and His amazing love and, and to see how He reaches out to the nations and all kinds of people uh, to give deliverance. Brothers and sisters, as we come today, I just want to encourage us as we look at the life of David, or David, Moses, to see that, that he is a man who encountered many different decisions in his life. And, and in those things, he walked by faith. Doesn't mean he didn't ever struggle, didn't mean that he didn't have times of questioning and stuff. But he walked in faith in the face of fear and circumstances that could have brought great and difficult uh, consequences to his life. Not only for him, but for his parents, for the Israelites. And, and as, we, as we continue in our walk of faith, I just want to encourage you that God understands that the fear can be overwhelming, that fear can be paralyzing and uh, the individuals in this section of scripture show us how faith overcomes such fear that we can be fearless before worldly powers even like Moses's parents were we can be fearless before seemingly impossible obstacles like the Israelites were with the Red Sea or with Jericho because brothers and sisters with God all things are possible and that includes anything that is happening in our lives as well. God has made His promises. Do we believe those promises? Can we trust Him? If so, then let us be encouraged to fear not, but to trust Him and to see how He'll work. Please bow with me if you would this morning. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much that, that you more than, than understand our struggle with uh, fear and uh, worry, Lord, as, as we encounter things that the, the consequences just seem overwhelming to us. Um, it is so hard, Lord, sometimes for us uh, to stand firm. But we thank you that, that you are, are more than just someone who understands us but it is you and, and your death and your resurrection that has made it possible for us to stand firm in such circumstances that in you all of God's promises are, are yes and, and I pray Lord that we would stand in that reality to know Jesus that we can trust you and uh, that you will uh, cause us to stand firm to the end but Lord, I also pray 
that we might stand firm, that, that you would be glorified. I, I pray, Lord, even as our as we uh, are seeing our culture change and, and the things around us in our society, you know, for some of us, we may be yearning to get back to pre-2020. We may want life to get back to the way it was. And it may or it may not. It may even get worse. But Lord, um, we thank you that even in all these difficulties that you are giving us the opportunity to say to see that our life is not tied to this world nor how this world functions but it's tied to you and i pray that you would encourage us and, and challenge us and and cause us lord to to walk more by faith that, that you would be the focus of our lives let us not try to figure out our own problems, but God, to lift and cast our, our burdens and our worries upon you, our fears, and to trust you. And I pray, Lord, that you would give us such a holy boldness that those around us would be amazed by what they see. And may we be able to, to proclaim, Lord, to them that it is you that, that does this. And that, God, that you would not only work in our lives, but, Lord, through our witness, that others would come to faith in you as well. We thank you and pray these things in your name. Amen.